0: Hey, if you've got a Bible with me, would you mind turning uh, this morning, this evening, uh, whatever time you're watching this again? This is kind of strange here. We're standing in a room uh, with a camera. Daniel and the team did a fantastic job uh, just then leading us in worship. But uh, as you can imagine, it is kind of weird. We're here uh, with with nobody uh, in the building. So we're kind of staring at a a camera like that, just as you are, I guess, staring at a screen with not much uh, interaction. Uh, but anyway, could you turn with me, wherever you are, and whatever time of day or night it is, could you turn with me to Judges chapter 2, please? I want to share uh, some thoughts with you. Before I do, I was thinking about this journey that we've been going on through this uh, uh, COVID crisis, and the many lessons and the different things that we've been learning and that have been taking place in our lives, and not only uh, my life, but I'm sure in your uh, life as well. There have been a lot of things that have been going on and uh, it reminded me of a gag, a joke that I read some time back. So I searched the internet and I found it and it goes like this. There was a very uh, successful uh, business person and he parked his brand new Lexus in front of his office. He was ready to show it off to his colleagues. As he got out, a truck passed way too close and it completely tore the door off the driver's side. Uh, The lawyer immediately grabbed his phone, and calls the police and within a few minutes a police car shows up. But before the officer has a chance to ask any questions, the lawyer starts screaming hysterically his Lexus, which he just picked up the day before. It was completely ruined. It's never going to be the same. No matter what they did at the shop, they're not going to be able to fix it up. Do you realise how much I paid for this? Look what's happened. What was he thinking? How am I going to repair this? And carrying on and on and on. The police officer turns and says, I cannot believe how materialistic you lawyers are. He says, you are so focused on your possessions that you don't notice anything else. And of course, the lawyer gets his back up. He says, how dare you say that? He says, why can you say such a thing to me? And the police officer says this. He says, don't you know that your left arm is missing from the elbow down? It must have been torn off when the truck hits you. The lawyer looks down and he screams, Ah! Oh no, what about my Rolex? Where's my Rolex? It seems a really funny gag, but... I read that joke and I thought, you know what, I, I can see myself in that lawyer a little bit. Uh, eight weeks ago, the things that might have been really, really important to me, the things that might have been top of my list in terms of my values and in terms of my needs and desires, uh, all of a sudden, eight weeks later, it's amazing what can transpire and what can change in such a, a short period of time. It's amazing uh, what sort of things you can see about yourself and about the world around you. It's amazing the types of discoveries that can be made in such a short period period of time, yet here we are, eight weeks ago, I might have been like this uh, this uh, lawyer eight weeks ago, I might have been panicking about the loss of my, my expensive car, or I might have been more concerned about the Rolex, the expensive watch, as opposed to the damage and the harm that had actually been done to me. It's amazing how our values and our desires and the way we're seeing things have been changing through this period, and that is a really, really good thing, I think that's a really... Great thing. There've been a lot of adjustments, and as I've said before, it's not just going on in the church world. It's going on in uh, the secular world outside the walls of the church too. I've spoken to many people whose values have been uh, readjusted, who've been reassessing their life goals and what the world looks like to them, what's important, what's uh, valuable to them. The good news from a church perspective is this: that that where Jesus, his values, his message, his person. Maybe eight weeks ago it was completely irrelevant to the direction the world was heading and the speed with which the world was heading there. Maybe when we come through this out the other side with the adjustments of values, with the reassessing of what's really important in life and the reassessing of our needs, maybe we will come out the other end and maybe the person of Jesus will become a little more relevant. Maybe the message of Jesus will become a little more relevant to society. Maybe people will start to think about the things that Jesus had to say and the things that he taught. And maybe they'll make a bit more of a connection and think, well, you know what? It makes a little more sense to me post-COVID, certainly a lot more sense than it did before COVID when my life was heading here. But now maybe, just maybe, the teachings and the message of Jesus Christ might make a little more diff- uh, 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 little more relevance to those who are hearing him. Or maybe you're watching this and maybe you're one of those People that in this period are just surfing uh, church things on the internet, and so maybe you can resonate with that. Maybe you realise the things that you thought uh, you're in control of, you're not in control of. Maybe the direction your life was heading in, the purposes, the goals, maybe they've been adjusted a little bit through this period. And that's really uh, a good thing, and it's been happening all around. Now, we got some good news this week. Uh, those of you that watch the news, you would you would see that uh, our uh, uh, Premier New South Wales and the, the um, Prime Minister of Australia, Scott Morrison, the National Cabinet have met, and they have decided to lift certain restrictions And, of course, the states have the opportunity to outwork those restrictions. And just in the last uh, seven days, we've been able to, in our state, go and visit another couple of adults in their home. And I said there's that little more interaction. And I was uh, hearing last night that um, National Cabinet are about to meet tomorrow, today's Thursday, when I'm filming this. They'll be meeting on Friday, and there's the possibility of granting us the opportunity to, uh, to gather in groups of 10 people. Uh, what happened by Mother's Day, we've been told here in New South Wales, which is very unfortunate. Uh, but they're looking at relaxing restrictions where groups of 10 can start getting together in the family home. So things are starting to happen. And it got me thinking about what life looks like when we get close to the end of a crisis, when it gets close to the end of a traumatic experience or over the other side of the mountain, so to speak. I had an experience myself. Uh, when I was about uh, 18 years of age, I finished school and I went down to Sydney with a bunch of mates. We borrowed a friend of mine, his mother had a van, just two seats in the front and a big open space in the back. And so we, me and uh, three other mates, we piled in the van and we drove down to Sydney and we went down to Sydney and we had a, a, a bit of, of a boys weekend and spent some time there. And on the way home, uh, we were going to be taking turns driving. It was my shift to drive. I don't remember what time of the morning it was, but it was very early in the morning. I jumped behind the wheel, i I'm driving. And I got about two kilometers outside of the town I was living at the time, a town called Ballina, North Coast of New South Wales. And I got just outside of Ballina, and I reckon I would have been one and a half to two kilometers from home. I remember the exact spot where it happened. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm almost home. When I get there, I'll hop into bed, I'll lay my head down, I'll be able to sleep. And before I know it, next thing I know, I open my eyes and I'm staring at a pole on the side of the road, and the car is heading for the pole. Well, of course, I freaked and I spun the wheel around and the guys in the back rolled around and, of course, they all opened up their eyes, all shocked and sat up and looked at me and said, what happened, what happened? I played it really cool, said, oh, nothing, fine, we're nearly home, guys, just get ready, we're going to be there in a couple of minutes and I kept on driving. You know, I found out that statistically a majority of road accidents actually happen within a close distance to the destination where uh, people are going. There's something about feeling like you're arriving that that begins to relax you. There's something about getting back in familiar territory, maybe, that makes us relax just a little bit. And it got me thinking about this period we've been going through and the lessons we've been learning. You know, I wonder, wouldn't it be a shame if the last part of this journey, and I think this journey is gonna go on for a lot longer, but I'm saying that because we're hearing of restrictions when we start to hear restrictions, our brain starts to tell us things are going back to normal, whatever that normal looks like. And in that time, it's like being a couple of k's out from home, it can get easy to start to relax. But you know what, there are a lot of lessons that we can still learn in the last couple of kilometers before we get to our destination. There's a lot of things that I believe God still wants to say to us. There's a lot of things that we need to take that he's been showing us and so on that we need to now wrestle with and go, okay, how do we maintain these things? Because it's one thing to live these lessons out in the midst of a crisis. It's going to be a totally different thing to carry these lessons forward into the new normal. It's, it's one thing to embrace the Word of God, it's one thing to, to change your values and, and readjust your values and, and separate what a real need is from a want. It's one thing to do that in the midst of this crisis where we are now with the restrictions we have. But once the restrictions start being lifted and the world has its mantra of going back to normal, how are you going to maintain the rage, so to speak? How are you going to ensure that the things that you have learned now in this environment of restriction, how are you going to ensure that you maintain those lessons and you can roll them over and carry them over into uh, the new normal, whatever that might look like? Wouldn't it be a shame to come out the other end and in 12 months' time look back at your life and go, I'm the exact same person I was. 12 months ago, having had this great opportunity to re-look and re-examine, wouldn't it be a shame to go, I'm the same person I was a year ago. Uh, My values are right back where they started from. I'm facing the same challenges. I'm getting upset about the same things. I'm losing my peace over the same things. My, My relationships are back where they were. Wouldn't it be a shame to come out the other end of this situation and face the reality that we actually learnt Nothing. We actually learnt nothing. What a sad reality. Yet you know what? Don't think that it's impossible to happen. Uh, In the book of Judges, we've got the story of Israel. And this is a sad story. The book of Judges is cyclic. It's Israel obeying God, being blessed, him fighting for them. They win. They turn their back on God, He withdraws His hand, they lose, they cry out in repentance, He comes back. There's this cycle that takes place like a washing machine. It just goes round and round and round and round in the book of Judges. But in the book of Judges, I could summarize it for you with three verses that will give you a picture of the entire pattern in Judges chapter 3. And verse 7 it says this It says, So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. So here here we go. We start with them just forgetting God, getting caught up in other gods, uh, getting caught up in the culture around them, and just forgetting their devotion to God. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. In verse seven, fast forward now to verse nine. It says, "When the children." of Israel cried out to the Lord. So when when they did evil in the sight of God, they found themselves in a tough and a difficult and a terrible situation. And then it says in verse 9, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel. So here they are, they're doing evil. They find themselves in a pit, a bad place. They cry out to God. God in his mercy sends a deliverer, anoints that deliverer, pulls them out of the, the muck and the rubbish that they're in. And then go down three more verses to verse 12 and look what happens again. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So they go from doing evil in the sight of God, crying out to God, God in his mercy rescues them. And then three verses later, they're right back where they started from. They didn't learn a thing. They didn't make the necessary adjustments and changes, and they found themselves in this cycle of crying, of doing the wrong thing, crying out to God, God comes. You know what's amazing about the story? I think that Israel did their best in the time of crisis. Israel did their best in the time of crisis. When things were not going well, they were pressing into God. When things were not going well, they were desperate to hear the word of the Lord. When things were not going well, they were examining their lives and stripping away all the things that God wasn't really happy about. They were examining where they were when things weren't going well. And then soon as God came to them and delivered them and life went back to normal, what did they do? Well, they just simply forgot all the things that God was trying to teach them. They forgot all the stuff that they'd learned. They forgot all the experiences. In other words, Israel learnt nothing. They learnt absolutely nothing. They just went through this experience and they learnt nothing. And wouldn't it be a tragic shame for you and me to go through what we've gone through in this period and come out the other end and in 12 months' time look back and go, you know what, if I'm brutally honest with myself, I learnt nothing. I learnt nothing. So there's one thing to experience, to have to to, to to have an experience with God. It's one thing to experience an epiphany. It's one thing to see something. It's another thing to be able to take that and translate that to action, implement that into your life, and make the necessary adjustments and changes going forward. Society is trying so hard to get back to normal, and we're going to hear this word repeatedly again, normal, normal. Normal. I don't know about you, but one thing I've seen going through this period is what used to be normal for me just ain't going to satisfy anymore. What used to be normal just isn't going to work for me going forward. I don't want to go back. To what was normal. Now, hear me. I'm not saying I don't want to get back out and visit friends. I'm not saying I don't want to gather together as a church. I'm not saying I don't want to be able to go down to the shops or take my wife out to a restaurant. I'm not talking necessarily about all the external things going back to normal. I'm talking about me. I don't want to go back to normal. You see, most of the changes that God has been involved in are not changes of externals. That's just how he gets our attention. It's changes of internals, changes of values, changes of needs and wants, changes of relationship, changes uh, that happen on the inside of us. That's primarily the space where God works and the space where God deals with us is that space on the inside. See, what happened here with Israel is this, is that they had these repeat experiences with God. But they didn't learn anything from the repeat experiences. Hey, let's go down into a hole and cry out to God with all of our heart. He'll come and bless us and he'll heal us and he'll lift us up. Awesome. Wow, we don't need you anymore, God. we got this. Bang, back down in a hole. And they would just simply repeat the same processes. Many people simply have repeat experiences, but they don't actually learn lessons. Um, if you look at statistics in Australia of those that get out of the prison system, um, the statistics at the moment of those that would reoffend they go to jail. They spend their time. They come out the other end. I think the statistics that I looked up today about reoffending—it's between uh, anywhere between 42 and 50 percent of prisoners will reoffend. In other words, they will go through what they go through. They will come out the other end, and they will do the same things. Have they learnt the lessons that, whether right or wrong, they were meant to learn during that time? I I, I would have to say, no, they didn't, because they find themselves back in the same place. That's what's happening with Israel. They keep re-offending, and they keep ending up in the same place. Hey, this is a drastic scenario we find ourselves in right now. And for many of us, God has been fast-pacing the learning. He's been fast-tracking lessons, fast-tracking word source, fast-tracking things that we are seeing him, we're seeing ourselves, we're seeing the world around us, we're learning lessons that are really really rapid rate but just because we're having experiences doesn't mean that they're going to become lifelong lessons and 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 be translated into life transformation you see god is about life transformation god is about life transformation not simply experiences and how do we take those lessons and how do we make sure that they become uh, life transforming experiences how do we make sure that they're not just temporary adjustments hear what I'm saying How do we make sure that we haven't just made temporary adjustments to our life? God's not doing things he doesn't want us to make temporary adjustments. He wants us to make lifelong change. Israel made temporary adjustments. Let's cry out to God let's let's clean ourselves up a little Let, let's just do what we need to do to get through the moment And they got through the moment and they went back to being the same people that they were. God is not a god of temporary adjustments. God is a God of heart transformation. God is a God of change. God is a God of change, not temporary adjustments. And human beings, we're creatures of habit. And if we are not deliberate about hanging on to the changes we've experienced and taking the lessons we've learned into the future, then we'll find ourselves drifting back to our default setting, just like Israel did time and time again. Let me say that again. We are creatures of habit if we're not deliberate about hanging on to the changes we've experienced and taking the lessons we've learned into the future, we will find ourselves drifting back to our default settings, just like Israel did time and time again. I don't want to drift back. I want to go forward. I want these changes to be solidified and I want to learn how do I carry this new set of values into the new normal? How do I carry this separation of wants and needs into the new normal? How do I maintain the disciplines? I how do I do all this stuff? How do I carry it forward into the new normal so I don't end up like uh, Israel on this vicious, vicious cycle? Now, I was a little boy and uh, he went to school. It was his first ever day at school. And uh, so he goes to school he comes home and his mother says to him, ''Hey, what did you learn today?'' And he looks at the and he goes, well, apparently not enough. They want me to come back again tomorrow. How many of you know that we're never going to learn every life lesson in one season of life? But what we do need to do is make sure that we learn the lessons that are there to be learnt in that season of life. So how do we do that? How do we make sure that we can translate these temporary changes into lifelong adjustments, temporary adjustments into lifelong adjustments? Changes. I want to give you three very simple and very practical things. You don't have to do them, but I'm I'm going to challenge you to do them. I think they will help you to take these lessons and to get out the other end and to make sure that your eyes stay fixed on Jesus and that your your eyes stay in the place where they're meant to. And that those adjustments and those changes take root in your life. It's going to be up to you to do it. And maybe you're watching, and I don't know you. If I know you, I'm going to probably try to keep you a little bit accountable here because that's that's part of the process. But I'm going to challenge every single one of you to do these three simple things. Before I tell you those three simple things, I'm going to throw some thoughts at you just to get the juices flowing, get you rethinking, because a lot of things have happened over the last uh, X amount of weeks, and there'll be more things to come. But here's some things just to get the the juices flowing and to get you thinking about some of the things that you might have learned. What about this one? I'll no longer sacrifice my family on the altar of success. I will no longer sacrifice my family on the altar of success. Maybe some of us have realised that we're just chasing that extra dollar and we're chasing it at the cost of something else. Maybe some of us are climbing uh, that corporate ladder. We're pushing for promotion. We're pushing for this. We're pushing for that. Now, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with uh, wanting to earn more money, nothing wrong at all. There's nothing wrong with wanting to challenge yourself in your career, nothing wrong with trying to climb that ladder and, and, and move up in management or, or go from being a, working for someone else to owning your own business. As a matter of fact, I think it's very noble to want to be the best in whatever area that you find yourself in. It's not about uh, not going after those things. It's not about what you're trying to gain. It's about what you're no longer prepared to lose. I'll say it again, it's not about what you're trying to gain. What you're trying to gain is fine. It's about what you're not prepared to lose. I'm not going to sacrifice my family on the altar of success. I'm not going to sacrifice my wife, and my kids and those that are closest to me. I'm not going to sacrifice my friendships, even those close, important friendships. I'm not going to sacrifice them on the altar of success. Relationships are way, way more important. What about this one? I'll no longer sacrifice my spiritual life on the altar of entertainment. Ouch. I'll no longer sacrifice my spiritual life on the altar of entertainment. You know, not everything God wants to say to me is about making me happy. It's about making me more more Christ-like. Not everything God's doing in my life is about making me more comfortable. It's about making me more Christ-like, it's about conforming me to the image of Jesus. You know, we live in a such a, a, a fickle culture. This online thing is, is is a classic place. People, you can go on there and find a preacher and find someone and you can listen a little bit to what they've got to say. But you know what, if you don't like it, you can just click a button, bang, swipe and slide and get them out of the way and find someone that, that, that you really like, that tells you what you want to hear, that makes you feel great. That and, and, and you know, I've got nothing wrong with making people laugh, nothing wrong with making people feel good, nothing wrong with making them feel special. I think God's into all that. But sometimes God wants to do surgery on us. When I was younger, I had a big hernia right here, middle of my belly. It swelled up, got so big, it was going to burst. Doctor said, if this thing burst, you could die. So they had to take me down to the hospital and they had to cause me pain in order to save my life. They cut me open. They dealt with that hernia. I remember waking up and for a week afterwards, because of where it was, I just, I couldn't cough. I couldn't sneeze. And my father took me home, plopped me in front of the TV. I couldn't move. And he turned on the Cosby Show and walked away. Dad, we've got to talk about that one day. It's obviously still an issue there for me. But they had to cause me a little bit of pain in order to heal me, in order to make me whole. And sometimes God wants to go a little deeper with us. And maybe some of us, we spend our life just jumping from church to church to church every time God puts his finger on that little area of our life. Hey, God loves you so much. God loves you so much that he'll do the surgery. But you've got to cooperate with him. You've got to cooperate with him. I'll no longer sacrifice my spiritual life on the altar of entertainment. God is real, he loves you and he wants to have a real relationship with you and he wants to conform you to the image of his son. Hey, I'll no longer sacrifice my health on the order of convenience. You know, God gave me this body whether I like it or not. God gave me this body and everything that I'm going to do while I'm down here on planet earth for the glory of God is all dependent upon me being able to take care of the vehicle that gets it around. I would hate to neglect this body. I've got a car, I get a roadworthy done on my car every 12 months to make sure that that car can take this body wherever this, this body needs to go so I can do what I need to do. Hey, God gave me this car, this body, and I need to look after it. And you know what? We live in a fast food culture and a, and, a, and a quick, convenient culture. Let's just go and buy this and call in, buy Maccas and so on. And look, I'm not against all that stuff, but again... Again, I'm saying, you know what, I've got to look after this body and I'm not prepared to sacrifice my health on the altar of what's convenient. I've got a brain. God wants me to use my brain. He wants me to keep that brain alive and active. It's so easy at the end of the day to you know, just go home, plop on the lounge, turn on the TV, sit there for four, five hours, let somebody else do the thinking, somebody else do the talking, somebody else do the engaging and go to bed, get up, go through the motions. But you know what, I believe God wants me to look after my body and I believe God wants... We'd look after my mind. And maybe through this period, you've noticed that. Maybe you've you've come to the realisation that, hey, I need to take care of myself. I need to get fit. here. I need to eat healthy. I need to look after my mind because I'm a whole package. I'm not just spiritual. There's a physical and a practical side to my life as well. I'm no longer going to sacrifice my health on the altar of convenience. I'll no longer sacrifice my identity on the altar of popularity. Let me say that one again. I'll no longer sacrifice my identity on the altar of popularity. Who says that I've got to drive that car or live in that suburb, wear that brand of clothing in order to be popular? Why do I keep chasing what the culture says is cool, even though deep down inside there's there's a confliction going on? I don't agree with it. I can't even afford it, but I'm just going to keep chasing it because culture says that it's cool. And I find my identity in what culture says is important. Now We've got to find our identity in God. We're children of God and God loves us as we are. and We've got to be secure in that and stop chasing what culture says is cool. Nothing wrong with having a nice car, a nice house. Nothing wrong with wearing designer clothes. Nothing wrong with any of that. But if you're finding your identity in that stuff because culture says that's where identity lies, then maybe you need to make some adjustments and some changes. That's not what it's about. And finally, I won't sacrifice my values on the altar of culture anymore. I was reading an article this week. Chris Hemsworth was talking about why he moved from Los Angeles back over to Byron Bay. Really interesting comment. He made this statement about the current virus situation that we're in, the isolation. He said this. He said, not having a schedule in front of me has made me reposition my values and what's important. And I think most people are having those kinds of thoughts right now. And you know what? Chris Hemsworth's right. We need to ensure that they're not temporary adjustments in our life. We need to make sure that they morph into permanent change. And maybe in some of those statements I mentioned to you, it's just tweaks and things because a lot's going on. So I just want you to come up with with some some practical things and think through. Okay, what has God been teaching me? And once you've done that, here's what I want you to do: three practical things that I want you to do. Number one, I want you to write down the lessons that you've learned. Get out a piece of paper, get a pen, and write down what has God shown you, what have you seen, what have you learnt about yourself? What are the things that your eyes have been opened up to? What are those epiphanies, those moments that you've seen? Number two, I want you to then go and tell someone about the lessons that you've learnt. I want you to find someone, sit down with them now that you can gather with two adults or whatever. If you can't, get on the phone, Skype, Zoom. And I want you to talk to someone say, hey, I want to tell you what I have learned. I want to tell you the lessons that I've learned going through this COVID experience. That's the second thing I want you to do. Make yourself accountable. Get it out there. I mean, you can keep it to yourself and there's no sense of accountability. You put it out there to someone, there's a little bit of accountability in that situation. I want you to do that. Number two, tell someone. Number three, I want you to write the 2021 version of yourself a letter. Yes, let me say it again. I want you to write the 2021 version of yourself a letter explaining how your life is different because of this particular season that you've gone through. Write yourself a letter. You might even want to stick it in an envelope, seal it up, address it to yourself, put a stamp on it, go and give it to somebody else and tell them, in 12 months' time, I want you to post that letter back to me or send that email back to me or hear me back that letter. But in 12 months' time, I want to get that letter. I want to read that letter that I wrote to myself because you're writing a letter to yourself. This is who you want to be in 12 months' time and who you think you should be based on the changes that have taken place in your life right now. You know, in 20 years, they're going to be teaching about the COVID crisis in history class at school. All around the world, just as they teach World War One, they teach World War II. They'll be talking about this COVID crisis and what went on around the world. My grandkids are going to be in class and they're going to hear about it and they're going to come home and they're going to say, hey, Poppy, Granddad, here's what happened, blah, blah, blah. Do you remember? And I've been thinking about what would I say to them 20 years' time. And I wrote down some things. Here's Here's what I'd like to be able to say to my grandkids in 20 years' time when they ask me about this period of COVID virus that I lived through. I want to say this. I was there, and yes, it was as bad as the books say. People died, financial institutions collapsed, and people lost their jobs. And yes, as a church, we were actually unable to gather together. But it was also the time where I grew more in awe of Jesus, where I saw him most clearly with the best clarity, where I heard his voice, So distinctly. Where he showed me who he wanted me to be. And where he got me back on track in terms of what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He adjusted my values. He taught me to appreciate those around me more. I fell in love with the Bible all over again. And I realised that I actually could find time to be with him each day. Even though the days are busy. He did many amazing things in me and for me. In fact... I wouldn't be the man I am today if it wasn't for that season in my life. If I take the lessons that I've learned and take them into the future, don't let them be temporary adjustments. Let them become permanent change and transformation. If I avoid being a repeat offender, then I'm confident that that's going to be my testimony to my grandkids in 20 years' time. I wonder what yours is going to sound like. End of the day, I guess that's really up to you. Bless.